0: You're listening to Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals. Hi, this is Dr. Thomas Bursault, President of the National Lipid Association, and I'd like to welcome you to Lipid Luminations, hosted by Dr. Larry Kaskill and presented by the National Lipid Association. Is lipid lowering the end or the means to better cardiovascular outcomes for our patients? The answer almost assuredly is patient-specific, but the question highlights the ongoing discussion in medicine about targets, whether how we get there is more important than just getting there. And taking it a step further, how can we know where the ideal target point really is? Welcome to Lipid Illuminations. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Keskel. My guest today is Dr. Roger Blumenthal, Professor of Medicine in the Division of Cardiology at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and Director of the Johns Hopkins Chikoroni Center for the Prevention of Heart Disease. Dr. Blumenthal, welcome to the show. Thank you, Larry. Well, let's move a little beyond just LDL lowering and HDL raising and talk about the recent JUPITER trial. What did you learn from the JUPITER trial that you did not know, and has it affected how you treat patients?
1: The JUPITER study clearly is a a landmark trial. And just to review with everyone, what the investigators did was look at nearly 18,000 Asymptomatic individuals with no known coronary disease and no known diabetes who would not have qualified for lipid lowering therapy by the standard guidelines because these individuals had an LDL less than 130. And the entry criteria was a HSCRP, inflammatory marker, that was greater than 2 milligrams per liter. And they decided to just look at those individuals who had the high HSCRP because. Prior post hoc analysis of the AFCAP's TEXCAP study, another large primary prevention trial that was done solely in the state of Texas, had suggested that if you had a below average CRP, that lovastatin did not favorably alter clinical outcomes. So, prior data, in my mind, Larry, would suggest that an elevated HS CRP is associated with a doubling of predicted risk. And that's pretty much what the authors found, namely that the event rate was about twice as high as one would have expect based on the Framingham risk score. And what they were able to show is that at a median follow-up of two years, that there was about a 45% relative risk reduction in subsequent major cardiac events. So we now have a much larger group of people who, if you follow that algorithm that was used to enter people into Jupiter, now would be eligible for lipid-lowering therapy.
0: But if you look at absolute risk reductions, to me, they were not that impressive. It was a 0.9% reduction in risk from the treatment group to placebo group. So, you know, from like 1.8% to 0.9%. And obviously, it sounds better when you say 45% risk reduction. But 0.9%, doesn't sound that impressive to me. So how do you convince a patient who's sitting in front of you, listen, I can decrease your risk of an event by 0.9%. And
1: that's one way of of looking at the data, but we're based our guidelines on 10-year risk. And if you extrapolate, albeit this isn't the hard event endpoint that we use for the Framingham Risk Score ATP3, but if you extrapolate to look at MI stroke death and revascularization which is a softer endpoint what you come up with is you have about a 14% risk versus a 7.5% risk over 10 years now the study was stopped early because the data and safety monitoring board didn't think it would be ethical to continue the study with a close to a 50% total event reduction so it's one of those things where you sort of look at is the are the results represent a glass that's half full or half empty and I personally think, and I'm sure you do too, that the vast majority of us would be better off with lower numbers, and it would be nice to have the the study go longer. But Dr. Bernie Gersh and the others who are on the Data Safety and Monitoring Board really didn't think it was ethical to continue.
0: I don't get that part, though, because, you know, usually you stop a study when it's killing patients, not when it's saving people's lives. And I'd like to take a more cynical approach that they stopped it because they saw a little decrease in mortality, and they wanted to get out while the going was good.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, David's Safety Monitoring Board wasn't um, affiliated with the sponsor of the study. And I suggest probably an uh, interview, Dr. Gersh, who's expressed some pretty strong opinions on the subject of why You know, he was in favor of stopping the, the study even earlier. But we have, as you know, had other studies that have been stopped early for benefit, and it all comes to the ethics of whether you can continue or not. I think the big question we all have is these are people who are in their 60s and many of us would say these people, even though they had that normal LDL levels, probably they have other risk factors such as components of the metabolic syndrome. A lot of us would have been tempted that we didn't have any good clinical data to put them on aspirin and, and statin anyway. And it's one way to say this sort of reinforces our, our natural biases. On the other hand, these people, at least the women, clearly wouldn't have qualified for lipid lowering therapy because the average Framingham risk score for the women was around four to five percent and I guess for the health economists have to decide is what the treatment in this case, a brand named statin, which costs about three dollars a day if one're playing out of pocket, is that going to lead to an overall reasonable cost benefit for the healthcare care system. My colleague, Aaron Mikos, and I just published an article in, in Jack where we took the same entry criteria that was in Jupiter, and we used the NHANES data set and, and said that there would be about 6.5 million more individuals with HSCRPs greater than 2 and LDLs less than 130 in that age group. And if you looked at those people with LDLs above 130 within HSCRP of greater than two. It's it's approximately another six and a half million people. So there's an awful lot of people that potentially could be treated and you bring up good questions and there'll be some lively debate on this subject.
0: If you've just joined us, you're listening to Lipid Luminations on ReachMD XM160. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill, your host. Our guest today is Dr. Roger Blumenthal, professor of medicine in the Division of Cardiology at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and director of the Johns Hopkins Chicaroni Center for the Prevention of Heart Disease. And We're talking about lipid lowering as the means or the end to better cardiovascular outcomes. I don't want to harp on the JUPITER trial outcomes, but one more question for you about that. When you look at fatal MIs, they left that out of the manuscript, which is very interesting. They put total MIs and non-fatal MIs. And so if you do a little math, you come up with the fatal MIs between the placebo and the treatment group. And there was a 50% increase risk of having a fatal MI on Crestor versus placebo. There were nine events on the Crestor arm and six in the placebo arm. So what do you say to that, doctor?
1: I agree with you. I did that same math too. And also, when you look at fatal strokes, there's not a clear benefit there too. But the total number of composite endpoint looked at total mortality. We know that that went down 20%. The absolute numbers were in the the right direction, and we had a significantly fewer revascularizations. So I think people are going to interpret it different ways. A lot of us who feel that, you know, if we have patients who have another risk factor that are in their 60s and we're looking even with average lipids of less than 130, a lot of us would say that, you know, this data, the overall impact of cardiovascular disease goes down, morbidity goes down, even though cardiovascular or MI mortality didn't go down. There were plenty of other events that did suggesting that you are favorably slowing the progression of atherosclerosis and hopefully um, stabilizing potentially vulnerable plaques. So like all studies, Larry, it's not a perfect one and would have been nice to have that continued for a longer period of time. And I guess the big question you and I should talk about next is if you accept that lipid lowering is beneficial overall, at least in terms of decreasing morbidity in this population, does this, these results apply to a generic statin that doesn't lower the LDL as much?
0: Exactly. That was, you took the next question right out of my mouth. I mean, if their LDLs 130 to begin with, was the results of Jupiter Crestor specific, or is it a response of statins in general? And then, can we save some money by putting them on a generic and get them down to seventy?
1: I think, for the most part, a lot of us, you know, would say you know, generic simvastatin, forty milligrams, will lower the LDL by close to forty percent in the vast majority of people. And I think that's how I've utilized, you know, this data. There are people that don't respond as well to Simvastatin, and then a different statin may be useful. There's people who, plenty of people who are in their 60s or, or older who will have another risk factor, and you want to try to get their LDL down to that 70-80 range. And they may not get there with generic Simva. And then the decision is: do you use brand name Atorva? Do you use brand name Rezuva And my personal feeling is that any statin is better than no statin. There are some people like Christy Ballantyne who look at the data plotted out that say that the risk reductions that are seen in a lot of these studies seem to be directly proportional to the percent reduction in LDL and either percent reduction in ApoB or non-HDL, and, and they think that you know we may not see quite as much benefit if you used a less potent statin, but a, a pretty good reduction if you got a 40% LDL reduction with generic Simva in the, the vast majority of these people, and I'm, I'm confident that that would lead to a similar decrease in morbidity and overall mortality.
0: Well, let's move forward a few years. What do you expect to see from the AIM-HIGH trial? Do you think it's going to be as impressive as hats and fats or because there was enormous risk reduction with combination of simvastatin and niacin in those trials? And I'm just wondering if you think it's going to be reproduced.
1: I'm skeptical that we'll see a large uh, reduction in morbidity and mortality when addition of extended release niacin to um, vigorous LDL-lowering therapy. And we're still waiting for the results of Accord, which is looking at uh, the addition of phenofibrate onto simvastatin in diabetics. And clearly, if there had been a major reduction in events with the addition of phenofibrate, it would have been stopped before this. It's been going on for quite some time. So I think we all have to be prepared that if there is an incremental benefit with phenofibrate on top of simva, it's going to turn out to be modest. And you know, we've talked before about you can look at absolute risk reductions versus relative risk reductions. And, and clearly when you do that and the um, things such as the HAT study, the absolute risk reductions you know, are also uh, doesn't sound as impressive as the relative uh, risk reductions. So in this day and age when most people are going to be on antiplatelet therapy, have reasonable blood pressure control, I think it's going to be hard to improve upon a vigorous LDL lowering, but I've been wrong before and perhaps you know, you've guessed wrong too at times, so uh, that's why we're doing the studies.
0: Right. What about targets we haven't talked about? All we seem to talk about in the lipid world is LDL and HDL, and there's got to be some more to the story than that. It's an inflammatory disease. The CRP, obviously, may not necessarily be the target, but just something to go after in terms of a risk factor. But where do you fall on LP plaque as a target and or any other targets you see on the horizon?
1: Well, at the ACC meeting, Hall Richer is going to present his data from Jupiter that will look at his attainment of a low HSCRP Result in better outcomes than just the attainment of a very low LDL cholesterol, and at least in secondary prevention studies such as PROVE IT uh, TIMI twenty-two, and another acute coronary syndrome study using um, simvastatin that the people who did the best in those two studies were the ones who had the low HSCRP and low LDL. So we'll um, get that information from Jupiter very soon. I I personally think that the data on LP PLA2 is even more preliminary than it is to sort of say we should target a a lower HSCRP. I have like Mike Miller's paper uh, that was in Jack uh, last year that looked at that Prove It TIMI-22 data set and Found that the people who did the best were those who had the low LDLs but also the lower triglycerides. And since triglycerides and HSCRP track so well, I think what we're seeing is that those individuals who are able to get their triglycerides down, and hopefully some of them are, are doing it through uh, better lifestyle habits and better glycemic control, are the ones who will do better. So there's only so much we can spend our money on in serial HSCRP measurements and serial plaque measurements right now. I, I sort of scoff at, I think we're going to, we need to be aggressive on LDL and non-HDL levels and certainly look at the ongoing research. But right now, um, you know, as cardiologists or internists, we have, remember that lipids are just one portion of the overall risk reduction picture. And so I I think focusing on LDL and non-HDL and, you know, for some people, it's easier just to think of getting their triglycerides down to the normal range to optimize things too. But we have to realize that as you said before, we still don't have the data with adding niacin, we still don't have the data with adding phenofibrate. So it's up to the individual clinician right now to determine, you know, what do you do on top of aggressive statin therapy. And a lot of the patients want to take two medicines or sometimes even three different medicines just for their lipids when there's other things they have to consider too.
0: Dr. Blumenthal, thank you very much for being my guest today.
1: Thank you, Larry. It's a pleasure to talk to you.
0: I was talking with Dr. Rajan Blumenthal, professor of medicine in the division of cardiology at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. And you've been listening to Lipid Luminations on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD online, on demand, and on air. Please visit us at reachmd.com, and thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Lipid Luminations, presented by the National Lipid Association. For more information, visit www.lipid.org.